you, you, look, you look like you're hiding your identities for security reasons at the moment. <laughs> Honestly, being back in a small team, it just feels like I felt like I was back in the core again. What was it like having to carry all this lot then? <laughs> I come out of my cabin and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. It was pretty horrendous. No, that, that was definitely not the limit. I th and I think the limit could have went a lot higher. But uh, <laughs> I think Brucey and Nutty have the most interesting story. I thought was a scalpel. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Healthy Beast. Today I'm joined by four Royal Marines, two serving, two former, who have just rowed 3,000 miles across the Atlantic and are joining me from Barbados. Very jealous. Junior, perhaps if we could start with you. Junior McIlhenny, if I said your name right. Uh, McIlhenny. McIlhenny, I apologise. So Junior, Junior, you, uh, we spoke on the phone the other day and you you started telling me about some of the horrors of this six-week journey. That's so you must, you must have been quite elated when you set off and you've you know, before any of the pains or anything's kicked in and you didn't know you were even going to be able to make this trip, to finally set off from Gran Canaria, you must have been, must have been quite elated, were you? For about two hours until the storm kicked in. <laughs> yeah, I literally felt good for about two hours. And then Bruce, he was like, we were all sitting on top because we had people like family come out on the boats just to see us off. And then these other big boats started turning around because you could see that the sea was picking up. I think we'd better go into the cabins now and all clip on. I went into the cabin then for a couple hours. The next time I come out, I was just, I was shell-shocked. Shell it was kind of like shell-shocked, really. I come out of my cabin and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. It was pretty horrendous. And then just another one about clipping on as well. That whole trip, we were always clipped on just because it was so, so dangerous and you didn't want to be falling overboard at any point. So you're either in the cabin or you're outside, but you're clipped on. No one actually got washed overboard while they were still attached. But nothing came close to it on the first day. Day one? Yeah, because we had waves. It was pretty bad, like huge waves breaking over the boat. We got, we took a pretty big impact from a wave and I looked around and nothing was doing a V-sit between the safety line on the boat and it was hanging off the edge of the boat anyway. I'd never seen anything like it or, or done anything like that before. I just didn't, and I've, I've never been in the ocean road, but I didn't know how much of a beating it could take. So I didn't know how much the boat could take. Yeah, it was a bit of a blessing after the first few days of the boat, taking an absolute beating, built my confidence within the boat. So when we come across more bad weather, I felt confident in that, that the boat could handle it. There were times of all sorts of strange things at sea and just like road waves, nearly got capsized a couple of times, but that's probably where I was a little bit fearful. Who's the most experienced rower among you? No, I've done a bit of rowing in my time. So that's uh, that's David Brucey Bruce I'm talking to now. But did anyone did anyone get close to breaking point? Not as far as I'm aware. A few people had persistent injuries, which were clearly causing them a lot of pain. But no one seemed that close to um, having enough. Oh yeah, the injuries. Junior started telling me about that. Who who was worst injured? Who suffered? Worst out of the order, you quite hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> We're all like pretty much on a cocktail of medication, most of the way across on different different sort of painkillers, different antibiotics. You're picking up infections and cysts, and even your skin starts to eat away at itself, and you develop holes in your bottom. Um, oh, that was it—the holes in the bottom. Oh, that was the, that was the that was the one. So were you all there just? Like your arse is rotting away on the sea. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I heard it the worst. 
um, from like after I think after two weeks, I developed these like craters in my bum. Craters, you, this, this is well talking. Craters, you say? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they look like. I think they started off as a rash and then developed into spots and boils, and then they just because I was sat on sat on the hard seat for twelve hours a day, they just sort of burst or whatever. And then I asked Junior to check it out because it started to hurt, and then he said, "Oh, you got holes in your bum, mate." And then I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was quite quite painful to towards the end. Um, at the start, I got started taking a course of antibiotics, and they that that sort of cleared it up. But then when that ran out, and, and I ran out of dressings to keep it covered up, um, it just got worse again. And then towards the end, it was just absolute agony. Uh, Junior, what was it like having to administer to these injuries? That sounds maybe like the worst side of it. <laughs> I yeah, uh, no, it was quite it was quite nice really. Um, it was like cleaning my ears. The cop. The holes are big enough to get a cotton bud in. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of like cleaning my ears bum, wheels bum. It's pretty gory. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so, army, yeah. you, you military types are not known for being squeamish, but there's got to be a limit, hasn't there? A point where you're like... No, that that was definitely not the limit. I th- and I think the limit could have went a lot higher. But uh, <laughs> I think Brucey and Nutty have the most interesting story that involves a scalpel. I don't know if Nutty Nutty, you, you want to try... So, um, Samuel Nutty Edwards, this is now, yeah, yeah. go on. So, Brucey had a bit of a small lump on his, uh, on his backside, and he's like, I'll oh, make you check it out. And I was like, Yeah, sure, pretty big. And um, so it was like, It was all right. And then a few hours later, it get bigger. And then the next day, it was even bigger. <laughs> about the size. I figured, I figured about the size of a plum, a really big plum. So, um, we picked a day. Well, you just wanted to get rid of it, didn't you? But it just so happened that it was a calmish day. He was still rocking around a little bit there with the scalpel, trying to, trying to cut open his, the cyst on his, um, his ass. Had to be very careful, but yeah. When you said you picked a day, I was thinking you were like, are oh, you going to look forward to it? It's like, oh, maybe on Sunday we'll, we'll hack into that big plum in his... <laughs> What's your perfect Sunday? Like? Yeah, that'll make the trip fly by. Yeah. I preferred it to go sooner rather than later. Yeah, I can imagine. So this is the main source of the injuries, is basically just sitting on a, what is it, plastic seat? A wooden seat with a, well, a wooden seat with, I don't know, it's not very foamy. No, it's similar to like a bike cream, isn't it? Yeah, similar to a bike seat material, just as a little cushion. And then we use some roll mats and sheepskins to soften it up a bit. But after a few weeks, it's just quite hard to make it. And the, the physical effort of rowing, how often are you rowing it to stretch? You're taking turns and... So um, like most ocean rowing teams row every every two hours on, two hours off. I think we all come to the decision together. To... Our, our changeovers were one of our um, points where we were losing a lot of time when we weren't rowing. So it seemed a lot more efficient to change the routine to three hours on, three hours off. And the performance didn't really deteriorate too much by having an extra hour on the arse. Okay, so you're doing these three-hour stints and then what, you're going to try and get some kip and... And other jobs around the boat which need yeah. them. Is there a lot to, is there a lot to be done? As, other than rowing? Depends on the day. Cooking and um, producing fresh water is something which has to be done every day. And, and navigation. And cleaning. Cleaning yourself, cleaning your body, cleaning your injuries. So every... The salt water just trashes trashes your skin if it gets into any cuts or any craters. The salt water dries off it. It makes the injury a lot worse. So every time you come off the oars, you need to give yourself a clean. So you can get... It depends how many injuries you've got as well, how many cuts and stuff you've got, or if you've got an injury on your bottom, but that could take between 10 and 20 minutes straight away as soon as you come off the oars, cleaning your body and sorting out your injuries and taking your medication. 
what, what were your what were your what was your mood like? You talked about physical injuries. What were your moods like? Well, have you did you kind of manage to keep chirpy through the whole thing? Um, I tried my best. But I think towards the end, that was the, the most pain I was in throughout the whole thing. And um, because we were so close to the end, I think when it started to get really bad, we had 300 miles left. So the end was sort of in sight. So I was just trying to do everything I can to keep my mind off the pain and just get it finished. Basically. Just, just keep pushing through. Yeah. How, how well did you guys know each other before you set off? Uh, me and Junior have known each other for across, uh, over 10 years, I think. And then I met Nutty and Brucey through Junior 18 months ago. Uh, I've known Nutty for about seven years. And then I met Brucey at Mutual Friends Wedding five. Something like that. Yeah, five years ago. And then, and then obviously I've met, well, not obviously, but me and Will, we worked together and I met Will about 11 years ago. So Junior and Will, you're both former Royal Marines, right? And the other two, Brucey and Nutty, you're still Royal Marines. But Mark Ormrod told me very... Clearly, he did a podcast a while back and he said, once a Royal Marine, always a Royal Marine. So you, that's something you st- that stays with you for life. Do, do you feel any difference between two of you serving and two of you former? Does it change kind of how you... Not, not really. It didn't, didn't change. Honestly, being back in a small team, it just feels like it felt like I was back in the core again, just doing something absolutely horrible in the core again. That's how it felt. I was just doing a hard... Hard bit of craft with my friends in the Marines. That's what it felt. It felt like I was back in there again. Oh, the only difference now, I don't have to rush back to work, and I could probably enjoy myself a bit more. That's probably the only difference really now that I felt. But during my time on the road, I felt like being back in the court, just working with a small team again. That's probably something that people, non-military people, struggle to understand. So you're in a, you're doing something uncomfortable and in a small team, and you find comfort in that lack of comfort. You see what I mean? Is that, is that what it is? Did you feel that lacking when you weren't? Yeah, definitely. Like just being out of your comfort zone and then teamwork and problem solving and yeah, all of this. Yeah. Do you, did you feel that too, Will, that you, it felt like being back a bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, I haven't had much, I haven't really done anything like this since I left the Marines and that was about eight years ago now. So it was nice to do something challenging with the lads under, you know, representing the, the War Marines again. I had a little. I had a little read on your story, Will, and I was wondering, could you could you tell us about your injury that led to you leaving the Marines and that effect that had on you? Yeah, um, well, it happened in 2011 in Afghanistan. I got shot in the arm by a sniper, which that my ulnar bone in my arm and severely damaged the median nerve, which helps control my hand, my left hand. Uh, I had a lot of surgery on it. Yeah. The, last two years of my career were pretty much spent in and out of hospital and um, rehabilitation in that 14 commando and also at Headley Court. And um, I had some surgery to, it was like a nerve graft, basically. So they took a, a nerve from a different part of my arm and put it on the damaged part. And then it sort of brought more function back to my hand, but not completely. So I've got permanent damage in my hand, basically, which means in the cold weather, it w- almost seizes up completely. I can't, I've got no dexterity with it. So I can't, I can't really use a weapon when it's like that. So I got medically discharged in 2013. Since then, I've been trying to figure out what I want to do with my life because I always had it in my head I was going to be a, a bootneck. For I didn't plan on leaving so soon. So a bootneck, yeah, a Royal Marine. Was it? So that was a tough blow. We presume, but you stayed in the Royal Marines. You presumably had an idea that you were going to be medically discharged before it happened. And then when it happened, was it still a terrible blow? Yeah. It must have been. 
Well, no, I did actually, but I did get, um, I did go back to work for a brief period um, when I thought it was all right with my hand and everything. But it was after a few months I was, I was training in the cold weather on the, doing um, drills on, on weapons and I could, just couldn't do the drills on the, on the weapons because of the cold. And I hadn't been in the cold since my injury then. So I got pulled off the course I was on and basically said, oh, something's still wrong with your hand. You're going gonna to have to look at it. And then I went back into rehab and then I was thinking I was probably not going to be good if this is permanent um, because obviously the Marines need to operate in all weather conditions. So at that point I had it in my head. I thought, yeah, this is, if this is going to be permanent, then I've already gone through like a year and a half of rehab and that was hard enough. So I don't want to, I was just a bit fed up of it all really. So I started thinking about what's going to happen if I leave. And yeah, it ended up, I went to a medical board and they, I, I, I probably could have stayed in and, and done a non-soldiering role, but I was only 21 at the time and I've, I've thought I don't want to spend the next 20 years in the Corps not soldiering because that would just be even worse. So I just thought I'd leave and try and find something else. So you're medically discharged and then presumably this is your, your kind of dreams over. And yeah. at that point, did you feel a bit desperate or? Not desperate, just a bit gutted. Obviously all, all, all my mates and the lads were going on and doing other cool things and I, I was just still in this rehab bubble. And then when I left, it was quite difficult because just because of the intensity of what I'd been through, I guess, and the feeling of like not not being part of that that family anymore. Being a civvy was quite hard at the start because I didn't I find it quite hard to relate to a lot of my mates, you know, people that I grew, like grew up with and my family, and um, because the only people that sort of know what you're going through are other other Marines, and I, I wasn't there anymore. So, and as a young lad, I guess it's quite hard to process at that age. I, I don't know. It's just a bit tough for a few years, but. Do you remember a point at which you you, had, you felt some kind of hope that you were going to it was going to be all right and you were going to get through it? Was there something that happened, some in your life, some way you felt you might be able to see a way through it all? Not necessarily like a single point in my life, but um, I think just gradually as I got older, you know, because when you're 21, you're still a child, really, aren't you? Like I know you're officially an adult, but your brain's not fully developed. You haven't obviously I'd experienced a lot, but. I hadn't experienced like life outside of the Marines much as an adult. So I guess as I got more of like a more presence of mind and like mature way of looking at things and like I, I didn't want to feel bad. So I've made a conscious effort to try and make myself feel better and make small adjustments in my life that help like eating good and like start exercising again. Things like meditation and music, music as well. I got into music and started DJing and producing music, which has been like a huge therapy for me, probably one of the biggest. And, and you know, after a few years, I did eventually start speaking to a counsellor. Spent 18 months talking to talking to someone about everything, which helped. But that took that was the last sort of big decision I made in terms of like trying to help myself because it was probably the hardest one to make, but it was good in the end. Particularly with um, it's, it's good for people, non-military people, to see tough military people having to do something like that, going and yeah saying i need help i need to talk to someone and obviously this 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 trip you've done sorry all of you is a, is for the royal marines charity and you you're aiming to raise a hundred thousand is that right and you've got quite well on the way now nutty are you how's the charity drive going are yeah. you still yeah we're still um still want to fly the flag for the charities get get as much money as as, as possible so um yeah we've got a few things we want to do when we get back some more fundraising for the charity but yeah the, it's all about flying the flag for the charity it's all about doing it for lads that are injured as well and royal marines charity very important things they're doing because you know lots of lots of current and is it is it for former and current 
servicemen just helping people who've got problems with injuries and mental health problems and so forth, stuff like that, the charity's mainly involved in. Is that right? Yeah, it looks after you, your family, till, until you're very old and when you die, really. That's what that, more of these charities are for. Very, very good. So, yeah, former, serving, family, everything. They're great. Amazing. Junior, you, you were telling me you're halfway there, is it, to the 100 grand, is that? Yeah, come on, come on. Yeah, not too far off. Not too far off. Like... Like Nutty was saying, then, um, but we can't. We could rush back now, and we wouldn't. We wouldn't be able to throw um, our fundraisers back in the UK right now, uh, just due to COVID. But I think once we get back and we can throw a couple more events, we we actually make quite a bit of money on our fundraisers. So um, when we get back, be able to throw a few more fundraisers, and hopefully the COVID restrictions have dropped or eased a little, and then maybe we can carry on. We're going to carry on raising money towards our target anyway when we get back to England. But just hopefully the restrictions ease off a bit, so we can throw these fundraisers and tell people about our experience at sea and gain more interest. So are you um so are you locked down there now in Barbados? Do you have to stay there or? Yeah, there is a there's a lockdown now. Yeah, yeah, there's um a strict strict curfew as well. Yeah, so what's what's the time? Seven till no five a.m. till nine p.m. Five a.m. till nine p.m. was the time until we got to the island when you could you have to be locked in. But now it's um now you can't leave where you're staying, and that'd be for two weeks. And flight flights are flights are really expensive at the moment, and I don't think there's money leaving the island. But uh, we wanted all our like, all our bodies as well. It's going to take a little while. For us to recover and i think we other spend we come we come back to england spend lockdown back in england and not leave the house not be able to fundraise and quarantine when we get there or we can um quarantine here or isolate self-isolate together for a little bit and yeah i think i think after a row i think this is this is only my personal opinion but before the row we spent so much time together we're pretty much living with each other and then on the row it's as well and we spent a lot of time together on the road in a small space but the only guys the only people I really wanted to relax with and chill out with when I got to the island was uh, these three guys here and uh, the last two nights was like the first time we actually got to spend any like quality time together and um, decompress a bit and just open up a bit and I don't know I've had, I've had a great last couple of nights with all you guys um, it's been the first time I've been able to relax since we've got here because it's been really busy since we got on the island we've had had media interviews been taken to other places we had a, a lot of work to do on the boat and then now um, we had to get the pair the boat for shipping and we had to move the boat and there's still there's still bits and bobs to do out here as well so yeah it's been it's been full on and it's only the last couple of nights that i've been able to actually just sit down and chill out with the lads brucey that that brucey that thing junior said about about um not mixing so well with other people kind of wanting to be with each other do you think that's partly was that you, one was that your experience too and also do you think it's because other people don't really understand what you've been through they can't kind of relate to your experience is it is that what it is i think the, the important thing to remember is the whole other time we were living in close confines with each other is we had an end goal in mind and we're all working towards an end state and um this is the first time the four of us have really been together in the last 18 months where we haven't got a, any pressing deadlines or any any pressure to achieve anything so we can finally relax amongst ourselves as well more than anything okay so you've been so you've been together but because you've had this constant stress of having to row and work and clean and pick each other's boils you haven't got to you've got to spend time together but not enjoy each other's company is what you're saying so now you're uh, looking uh, to another thing that, that should be mentioned is half of the battle of an ocean rose getting the boat to the start 
start line. It's very different battle to getting into the finish line, but there's there's no one giving it to you on a plate. You have to work for every every pound that you get in fundraising yeah. too. And there's a headache of logistics and it's um difficult at times as well. Yeah, but Bruce you're saying about the logistics, it's not it's not easy. You don't just pay someone a one off fee and everything's done and you just get yourself to the start line. Like Bruce is saying then it's kit, equipment, food training you know all the courses accommodation <laughs> due to covid everything was right down to the last minute of flying out to gran canaria everything could have been everything could have been lost just like that and i'm i'm pretty sure sam's sam shows made you aware already but originally we were meant to be rowing the pacific and due to covid that was cancelled and then um brucey and nutty got their heads together with chris Ma and mick dawson and come up with the idea about four months before the road would you say about four months before the road and we're like right we're going to do the atlantic as an independent crossing um which most people have a lot a lot of time like a year or two to get everything planned like all the planning in order logistics shipping everything no and bruce you worked very hard and come up with the ideas such short notice and then and it's like and then due to covid as well we were speaking to mps and the mps were like the lockdown's kicking in tomorrow we need to leave the country in the next 24 hours then it was like a mad dash the boat wasn't completely finished we had a bit more work to do on the boat back in england we had to get the boat shipped ASAP. We had to fly out to Gran Canaria ASAP um, just so we could make this row happen. But then when we got to Gran Canaria, then we needed to live, we needed sort of accommodation there. We were in Gran Canaria for one month before the row even started, um, which wasn't the plan originally, maybe a couple of weeks before to get, get stuff done. Luckily, the Royal Marines have one of their the core yachts out in Gran Canaria. So we just spoke to our friend, friend who was looking after the core yacht who kindly let us stay on there. Then Bruce, it was you that changed the location of where the boat was going to be shipped, the rowing boat. Oh yeah, for convenience. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, Bruce, he changed the port to where our rowing boat was going to get delivered for convenience because we were accommodated on the Royal Marines yacht. So um, yeah, it was all, it was all like, yeah, it was all, it was all up in the air right until we got on the start line. And even then we were waiting days for a nice weather window, which we just weren't getting. So everything was up in the air until we actually set off, wasn't it? Yeah. It could have been stopped at any moment. It could have been canceled at any moment. So that's quite a stressful thing when you work hard for, how long was it? Over a year, isn't it? It's hard when, um, when everyone's working so hard for over a year. And even when you're right near the start line, everything could be dropped or canceled just like that with all that hard work being put in. Oh, Junior, you mentioned just there, you mentioned Sam Sheriff. And I wanted to ask you about another charity because this row is for the Royal Marines charity, the one we mentioned. But you're, we've also been involved with another charity. Sam Sheriff started back in the UK, but it's going worldwide, a charity called Reorg. Yeah. Now, Reorg uses, well, martial arts principally to for similar kind of things, helping people with their mental and physical issues. And you you also, Junior, you were medically discharged. Maybe you could tell us how, how that happened and how you then got involved with Reorg, if you don't mind. When I first got injured as well, um, I, I boxed. I boxed a lot. I boxed before I joined the Marines. I boxed in the Marines. After getting injured, like losing losing boxing, as a, I, did, I did try to keep at it. But um, yeah, just due, due to my back injury, I just I, I can can't still probably can't do it now, just due to pain and further injuring myself. Quite a few years later, after being injured, I met Sam. He's spoken to me every time I met up with him. He's spoken to me about jujitsu, and I, I kind of I was kind of I think I was just putting it off actually. Every time I was like, oh yeah yeah, I'll get, we'll definitely do that sometime. And I was always like that. I'll, I'll definitely come down and get on the mats with you sometime. And I kept putting it off. 
until eventually one day I think Sam just cornered me and I had no other option but to go down and train with him and I, it felt amazing I didn't think uh, I didn't think any of the sport would give me the same feeling as boxing but I think actually it made me feel even better and yeah it was, it was great you, you knew about jiu-jitsu before but you'd never done it is that right yeah like I, I heard of it yeah brief, briefly throughout my time in the Marines but it was quite quite a small sport in the Marines it's massive now it's huge now in the Marines. Every unit now is training. When I first joined, there wasn't too many people training, but now I think it's huge. And it wasn't really spoken of, but I think it's spoken of a lot. Do you guys hear about it in the Marines a lot now? You, you guys are still serving this? Yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's really well known now throughout the whole of the, throughout the, whole of the Marines. Well, I heard apparently Sam, because Sam Sheriff, who started it, he was Royal Marines physical training instructor, right? And he was the first Royal Marine to go from white belt to black belt while serving, apparently. Yeah. But, but apparently it's the most popular sport in the Marines now. Or maybe oh, yeah. might, that, that may have come from Sam, so I don't know if it's yeah, you know, no, his bias. Oh, yeah, I, think, but... I think Sam had a big part to play in that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you are right. I've, I think you're right. It is the most popular sport in the Marines now. Maybe it was because when I was younger as well. It was, when, I, when I joined, it was very busy with like Afghan rotations and stuff. Yeah, so maybe I just didn't hear about it. But I think, I think it has grown a lot since my time in the Marines and since when I was in the Marines to... To now, I think it's grown as a sport within the Marines, definitely. And I think that probably has a lot to do with Sam. How long is yeah. it now since you first trained with him? I'd like to say like two, three years ago, maybe. And then obviously due to COVID, I feel like it's been forever now. I feel like it's been forever since I've been on the mats. And then um, obviously with this row as well, we've just been away for the last few, three, four months as well, leading up to this. But it feels like forever since I've been on there, but probably about two, yeah, two or three years ago. So your injury, your injury, it was an IED with you, wasn't it? Yeah. And it, so it was a back injury that I guess some people, they look at jiu-jitsu and they think, oh, well, that's really physically demanding. And it is. Yeah. So they can't really understand how, oh, here's this therapy that's that's fighting and i think maybe you could explain how you know what sam's message is trying to get across is that anyone can do it you know that's why obviously mark autumn first triple amputee from afghanistan is a good great ambassador because people think oh you know he's lost three of his limbs and he still trains really hard and it's a great example but for you you're saying boxing tough but jiu-jitsu you've been okay with your injuries no yeah it's still really tough and sometimes i do hurt sometimes i am really hurt but it's something i can still do and it's not like boxing where I can say, I can, I can just stop someone and say, um, yeah, excuse me, you don't mind if you don't hit me there or whatever in training. And then there's just a twisting motion as well really hurts. But um, when, when I've trained with Sam and a bunch of other friends who are still serving in the Marines and veterans as well, they could sort of, you can tailor it. If I'm hurting in training, then we could, we could just work on different things, which is great. Yes, yeah, so with different injuries, we can work on th- different movements and do different things. Yeah, for me, it, for me, it was completely different from boxing then but I don't know if it was like trying to think of I'd say like a meditation or whatever I'm constantly Sam is always reminding me which I sort of brought forward to the ocean row as well about my breathing and not not to panic not to use my strength but to breathe and think about things and, and to slow things down for when I find myself in a situation where I'm struggling Sam just like take a deep breath calm down like think think about what you're doing yeah I think I brought that forward to the ocean row actually as well so this not panicking, presumably as a former Royal Marine, you're not the most panicky person anyway, but do you feel jiu-jitsu, you know, brought an extra layer of that to you? Oh yeah, definitely. Because I was out, uh, I, you know, still now, when I train now, I'm out of my comfort zone. 
Yeah, de- definitely. When someone, so when someone's got you around the neck or bend you up, or someone's putting pressure on your chest or your stomach, yeah, it's really uncomfortable and it's not natural. Whereas Sam would tell me to relax and think about it, and I'm like, I don't want to relax. Someone's sitting on my chest and I can't breathe. Like, so I feel like I can't breathe. But um, yeah, it's, I'd say it's de- yeah, definitely yeah, it's uncomfortable. And it pushes, it pushes me out of my comfort zone again, which is kind of what this road is, is definitely done for me as well. It definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone. Have you tried to get the others involved? Have you guys done jiu-jitsu yet? I, think I was chatting to Will about it on the way across. And um, we obviously we get a lot of time to talk to each other. I've get, I've, I've done a little bit before, back in uh, Brighton, not with Real, just like with the local club. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm going to do more, more of in the future. Brucey, what's your what training do you get martial arts wise in the Marines? If it's not jujitsu, is it? I mean, obviously you know weapons and so forth, but unarmed un, unarmed combat is it? Um, not as much as you'd actually think. No, I'd expect I expected to do a lot more before I joined the Marines. You do bits and pieces every now and again, but it's not set in any program. It's just if there's, it's like true physical morning might be, including some martial arts training. But it's not it's not something you do hundreds of hours of as a routine, in there. No, some some lads might do it in some troops that I've never been in, but um, I've not experienced that. Because I don't know, most people, Junius, you sound like you might be like this. As soon as you get into jiu-jitsu, you want to tell other people about it and get them into it. I, I know, I, I'm always doing it, trying to say. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, 100%, yeah. And, and you know, no no good reason not to do it. I mean, I guess it's not necessarily for everyone, but you know, it makes people very uncomfortable. But that can be that can be a good thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's when I feel. That's when I feel my best. I, again, I was same as Will when I left, and even now, still today, don't really know what I'm what I want to do. But then when when Bruce and Nutty approached me about this ocean road, I just said yes straight away. I was like, yes, yeah, one hundred percent. I'll be there. I'll do that. Just because it makes me feel good when I push myself outside my comfort zone. I don't know, it's, it's weird. It does something to my head, does something to my mind, my body, where when I'm doing something hard, I'm out of my comfort zone, I feel good, even though it's painful at the time as well, you still get a good feeling. And then afterwards as well, I know I can't keep, keep doing hard stuff just to feel good, but I, I guess I... I guess I'm on the right path one day. I'll figure, figure something out. But yeah, for the time being, um, this is this has been the hardest thing I've done today. But I can just rode an ocean with like three. I just feel like I've gone for a row with three of my really good friends. That's what I feel like. But it was and it was hard. It, I was out of my comfort zone, and I know we've done that. Yeah, it's an incredible thing. Talk about injuries and mental health. Maybe I'll put this to anyone, but I mean, Nutty, you could try it if you wanted. Two of you injured, two of you still serving. You, you don't, none of you look injured. Is it, is it sometimes easier when someone, you know, loses a limb or something, people can see, oh, that person's clearly injured. But then there are lots of people that have got injuries you can't see. And then there are some people also that not only have got injuries you can't see, but they're not physical injuries at all. So people who are physically well, but they've got, mental health issues and I know Sam has you know dealt with a lot of those at Reorg but maybe for whether you're serving or not serving do you think we're all talking about mental health a lot more with lockdown and everyone being you know come backs to the wall but do you think there's a particular issue in the military that is yet to be well, only from my point of view and from what I've seen, I think people are talk- more openly talking about it now. But I don't know if that's just because of the Leopard Marines, because when I was, I'd done my first tour of Afghanistan when I was like 18, and that that was definitely an eye-opener to me. First day on the ground, I just hit the ground hard and, uh, and so, yeah, hit the ground running. And it was like, I don't know, it was a massive eye-opener to me. My first day, we're in a massive scrapping with the enemy all day. One of my friends was killed and 
yeah, it was just like that. I was 18 and it's my first day on the ground. I'd never seen anything like this. And then we were like ambushed by the enemy and I'm just like, oh, God. But then you sort of settle into it. And then when I got back, when I got back to, when I got back to Fort 2 Commander where Brucey and Nutty are now, you don't, you can't, like, you don't speak to your friends and go, oh, I'm not feeling well. In my head, I'm having nightmares or anything. You don't, you don't, you're like, I don't know. For me, it wasn't like a, I didn't see anyone else doing it. So I was just like, just keep quiet. But then I started having like nightmares, a lot of nightmares, which I wouldn't remember. And then because you're sleeping in the same room or if we were on ship, when you're on ship, I had about another 10 blokes in the same room. So when I'd wake up having these night terrors, it would start, my friends would start to be more aware of it. One of my friends actually, Cassidy Little, who me and Will worked with, he, he got blown he got blown up on Kerry 14 as well, got severely injured. One of my friends, Cass, he was a medic at the time, and he said, Junior, I'm not going to force you to do anything, mate, but this isn't normal. You need to help. You need to get some help. And I was like, okay. So um, I went to the med centre and started seeing a psychiatrist, yeah, mental health nurse, whatever it was. And and it and it was it was okay. I didn't really feel like I was getting anything from it at the time because I didn't feel like I was ready to talk about anything myself. Uh yeah, and then before I knew it, Afghan was coming up again. There was like another tour of Afghan coming up. But I knew if anyone at four two knew I was engaging with this treatment that I could potentially be undeployable. So at the time, I stopped going to these appointments, which were outside of my camp anyway. So if I stopped going, no one would really hopefully not pick up on it, which no one did really. And I deployed to Afghanistan again. And then not obviously, but a few months into that tour, then I got injured. And then when I come back, stop, like everything hit me even harder. Like all my nightmares and then I had like other emotions like uh, guilt guilt was like a massive massive thing and then I yeah and then I and then I didn't think nothing nothing was bothering me about being blown up nothing bothered me about that all all the stuff in my head was still from my first talk from when I was a lot younger I think that's why it affected me more because I was younger so then I started re-engaging in treatment again and then it was only it was only in recent like I think it was probably within the last year that I actually like being blown up. I, I realised that that actually had an effect on me as well. I've only just like in the last year I was like fuck that that's a, oh sorry for my language I was like yeah that's actually had an effect on me as well. But I didn't even realise that till recently. So yeah. So you're having some trauma, suffering some effects of trauma before the injury, and then more after. Yes, yeah, so from my first tour, I thought it was all from my first tour, and it was only recently that. I start like in the last year or so that I was like, oh God, that's actually that's actually had an effect on, me. and I didn't think it did, but I think yeah, it definitely has. So then I had stuff from that, but then treatment since I've left has not been great because the time is limited with the with the NHS. So I had a few appointments with the NHS, but you're only allowed so many sessions before you need to what you call it like re reapply or go to your doctor and ask mm. for a session. And after that, I was just like, no, that's not very good. Yeah, I went to a charity called Combat Stress because they obviously do a lot of help for a lot of people. But there was a year-long waiting list for them as well. And I just thought, go in and get any sort of treatment, I had to wait a year. So, yeah, I didn't do anything with them. So, like, my treatment now, being with my friends as much as possible, talking. We got a lot of talking done on the road, though, that was for sure. Yeah, and doing things like this. Like, Bruce, invited me on this with Nutty and then just pushed myself out of my comfort zone. Yeah. It's interesting... Sorry to interrupt. It's interesting what you said about you, you went to see a counsellor when you were still serving, but then you were worried how, how this would look if your 
if your colleagues found out is that any of the rest of you want to speculate on whether when you're serving now whether people would feel able to go and talk to someone or or would they feel like junior did that it's going to jeopardize their career you know jeopardize how their colleagues see them and i'm not saying it is the same because a lot there's a lot of amazing people doing amazing things in the court one of my friends mo morris and then you've got sam with um with reorg as well and i think it's openly more talk about potentially but as a young as a young marine this is again this is only my point of view at a unit when when you're at your commando unit i feel like i felt like just myself my personal opinion that i always had to have this hard exterior that i couldn't i couldn't tell anyone that i was struggling i couldn't even though some people would know from my night terrors or whatever and i couldn't show anyone that i was physically struggling you're always trying to yeah you but even though, even though if I did turn around to my friends and say that I'm having a hard time, this is hurting, or I'm having trouble, troubles with my sleep, I'm having these flashbacks, whatever. If I did turn around to any of my friends, which at the time, as a younger Marine, I would have thought was weakness. But I did turn around to any one of my friends, I know they would have had my back and they would have listened to me. But at the time, in my own head, I just had to, I had to, I couldn't show any signs of weakness. I guess that might be quite a common thing because, you know, then there might be some conflict in how we deal with mental health issues in that, you know, you want, on the one hand, you want soldiers to be tough and no nonsense and just get on with things. But on the other hand, if there are problems, they, you want them to be able to be addressed. I don't know if Brucey and Nutty would know more about that. They're still serving. But again, I, I guess you only know about this kind of stuff if you're actually needing that kind of help. Well, lads, lads can't get help if they need it. Yeah, that's the main thing. They can get help if they need it. Yeah, definitely. Do you think Nutty's still serving? Do you think it's something that serving Marines would talk about? You know, like I'm struggling mentally, you know. Yeah, between each other. Yeah, definitely. Like Junior said, between each other, if you if you want to chat about something, you definitely can. But maybe going off and finding something, I, I don't know if people would do that really. But yeah, definitely chat amongst each other. Always chat amongst each other. Lads harbour injuries like niggling injuries so and then they'll still go on troop runs and do troop fees and stuff and then they'll injuries will get much worse they're not lads not really come forward with much if they can help it so he's saying they don't they don't come forward with much if they can help it because they just tough tough it out and get on with it exactly yeah that, and bruce is talking about physical injuries there as well but i think you could bring the same across only from my opinion you could bring the same across probably for mental health injury or like mental health as well um like bruce is saying there if someone's got busted their ankle and they've got to go on a run they're still going to go on that run because right yeah you're not you just keep on going but like Brucey said then you can be making that injury worse and I feel some people may do that with their mental health as well because maybe if you had treatment at the right time maybe you'd be better but then when when lads are doing back-to-back operations and not getting any help maybe they're making that injury a little bit worse or their, their mental health a little bit worse. But Bruce, you hit the nail on the head. But lads, but lads probably are their own worst enemy at times. Lads will keep push themselves to the limit, even if they know they need help, they will still keep on going and going. Well, I guess like I guess as as Marines, you you like the toughness of the culture, you know. I guess you 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 appreciate the culture of the Marines for what it is. So you yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a club worthwhile being a member of if it wasn't tough or hard. What what is a what is particularly special for people that don't know about the Royal Marines? What what makes it not just another part of the armed forces? Uh, I'm sure there are several other parts of the armed forces which share all the aspects which make the Royal Marines special. The camaraderie through shared hardship, I think, is what builds the special relationship between Marines. Special relationship. 
Any of the others, what particularly Royal Madrines, I mean, yeah, you don't have to say anything bad about any other branches of the military, but Will, anything you think particularly special about the Royal Marines? I think just training as well, and that everyone, like the, the army can be parts of different regiments, different companies, different SQs, and in the Marines you can go off to do different things, but everyone in the Royal Marines has gone through that basic training, nine months long to earn their Green Beret, and everyone has done that. Everyone, there's no other way around that. There's no difference in the training. Everyone has done that and earned their green berry and, and you've earned that for life. And that's yours for life. And no one can take that away from you. And that's why it's once a Royal Marine, always a Royal Marine, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, fantastic. Internet's held up reasonably well. And it's you, you boys have done amazing work and I wish you the best of luck with your continuing money raising. So just if people want to give money, what are the best places to go? On, on Instagram, you are rm underscore cockleshell underscore Atlantic. rm underscore cockleshell underscore Atlantic. And you have a website where people can donate as well? So, yeah, on, on, our, on our Instagram page, we also have a link that you can click to our GoFundMe. Yeah, it's in the bio. And we have a Facebook as well, but I'd definitely say our Instagram as well has been gaining a lot more traction and i think oh. if you in fact if you search cockle shell on instagram it comes up but it's rm underscore cockle shell underscore atlantic fantastic junior brucey will and nutty anything else you yeah can i just say um a big thank you to all our sponsors and our capital sponsor marcus brie at brie visualizations an architecture company say the name one more time uh marcus brie at brie visualizations yeah, of course uh, everyone, everyone that helped and donated towards it and um, we couldn't have done it without you so thank yeah. you very much from all of us yeah amazing well second that and best of luck with the fundraising and the trip back and enjoy your the time you have left in barbados Cheers. thanks yeah. a lot all the best bye bye bye, bye. bye. junior brucey will and nutty if you want to give money to support their amazing row across the atlantic go to instagram look up rm as in royal marines underscore cockleshell underscore atlantic rm underscore cockleshell underscore atlantic if you just put in cockleshell in search in instagram you'll get there and there is a link in the biog to a place where you can give money the charities we mentioned are the Royal Marines charity, that's the RM, Therm Charity, T-H-E-R-M Charity on Instagram. Reorg, which is the charity using jiu-jitsu and other martial arts to help servicemen and women with their physical and mental health challenges. Reorg is Reorg Charity on Instagram, Reorg Charity. Also got its new website at reorgcharity.com. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram and healthybeastpodcast.com on our almost new website. Thanks very much for listening.